Hey friends, Rich here. Hope you're having a great day. You know, as we lead in our churches, one of the things we want to think about is our staff team, what we can do to reduce the stress that's in their lives. What can we do to help serve them? And you know, for years we've made the decision uh, in the churches that I've led that we may not be able to pay marketplace salaries. We try to do that. We keep trying to push towards that, but we do want to make sure that we're offering the benefits that we can that are comparable to what's happening in the marketplace. Did you know that 66% of Americans across all income levels say that health insurance, one of those benefits, is a major financial stressor? My friends over at MediShare, they have the solution. It's the best alternative to traditional health insurance that allows Christians to share the benefits in the form of medical bills. MediShare is the leading and most trusted health care sharing ministry with over 415 thousand members nationwide. Typically, they find that uh, family members like the team members in your church save 50% on their monthly healthcare costs when they switch. Man, this is like an average of $500 uh, a month. This is incredible. I want you to be thinking about this at this time of year. Listen, I want you to check out MediShare at www.medishare, that's M-E-D-I-S-H-A-R-E.com forward slash Unseminary. That's MediShare, M-E-D-I-S-H-A-R-E.com forward slash Unseminary. All their members get access to telehealth as well as free telecounseling. It really is amazing. Uh, Today would be a great time to check them out. That's MediShare.com forward slash Unseminary. Are you looking for practical ministry help to inform and inspire your leadership? Do you have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of other leaders in pursuit of stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast, presented by CDF Capital, helping churches grow. Visit them at cdf.capital forward slash unseminary. Hey friends, welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. So glad that you have decided to tune in today. You know, every week we try to bring you a a church leader who's both going to inspire and equip you. And today is no exception. Super excited to have Rusty George with us. Uh, Rusty's a fantastic leader that you should be following and getting uh, to know. He is the lead pastor at a fantastic church called Real Life Church in the kind of greater Los Angeles area. was planted by uh, friends at Shepherd Church. uh, And they have five campuses, if I can count correctly for uh, in Southern California and Church Online. It's one of the fastest growing churches in the country, and Rusty is the lead pastor. Welcome to the show, Rusty. So glad you're here. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be on the show. I listen to it all the time, so to be a guest is a real treat. Oh, come on. Super honored that you're you're here. Why don't you fill out the story? I gave kind of a really high view, you know, level view there, but talk mm. about the church. Give us some detail and tell us about your connection to the church. Yeah, well, it began as an idea from the lead pastor at Shepherd of the Hills Church, as you mentioned. And, uh, basically, he saw a lot of people driving from a, a, a city in, outside of Los Angeles that was about 20 minutes away. And he thought, let's plant a church up there. Mm. And so they hired a, an amazing communicator, a guy by the name of Kyle Eidelman. Now he's a well-known speaker and author. And yep. he came out, planted this church in a movie theater, just took off. Two years in, he decided that's what God had called him to do. He was done. And now God was calling him back to the Midwest in a church called Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Just so happens Kyle and I were friends, and I was in a church in Lexington, Kentucky. Yes, there okay. are two cities in Kentucky. A lot <laughs> of people don't realize that. And uh, he dropped my name as he walked out the door, and they called me. And uh, I 
took the, the challenge to come out here to California and take over where he left off. He had set me up so well, but we could not be more different in the way that we lead. And so uh, that, that kind of had its own growing pains along the way. But eventually we moved into a building uh, out of mm-hmm. a movie theater into an actual building. The church exploded. And then we began to investigate multi-site. So it's been a wild ride uh, mm-hmm. with a lot of ups and downs, uh, but incredible journey over the last 18 years. Love it. I uh, that's an interesting place to be in to come uh, after the founding pastor, the you know the planting pastor. What was that like? What were some of those early learnings? Uh, you know, what what could we kind of pull away from that experience uh, from your you know your seat? You know, I think I had to figure out real quick. I needed to be me, mm. and to just try to you know kind of fit the mold of who he was was disingenuous, and it wasn't authentic to who God called me to be. Had a great conversation with a uh, a church consultant by the name of Hayden Shaw. Hayden mm-hmm. has done a lot of work on generations and various other things of leadership. Works for Stephen Covey as well. But uh, he he uh, he said to me because I asked him what makes a church grow, and he said, "Right guy, right place, right time." Mm-hmm. And I thought about that a lot. And you know, God had put me in that position. I don't want to over spiritualize things, but He had put me in that position. And I wasn't to be Kyle 2.0. I was mm. to be me. And mm. I did things a little differently. And mm-hmm. I had to uh, just kind of allow that to be okay. <laughs> and so when people would come up to me and say, well, this is not what I thought it was going to be, I had to be okay with that. <laughs> I think there was a lot of people that thought that our church would just be Shepherd Church 2.0 in a different mm. part of the community. And and I'm not really like the lead guy at, at Shepherd. So mm. we had a little bit of a different approach and we were going to do things a bit differently. So I had to be all right with that. And with that comes realizing that uh, sometimes the people that fall in love with you first are the first ones to uh, fall out <laughs> of love with you. And a, a lot of the leaders that kind of hired me, mm-hmm. uh, some of them just began to have a little bit of buyer's remorse and mm. slowly uh, trickle off. I remember talking <laughs> to a incredible pastor uh, that your listeners probably know named Judd Wilhite. And he had a mm-hmm. similar situation when he followed Gene Apple at Central. A lot of mm-hmm. people that thought he would be great quickly realized he wasn't Gene 2.0 and began to, right. to kind of walk away. And I, I had to make peace with that. I had to make peace right. with the fact that I was going to lead the staff differently. And right. with that comes the realization that the staff's not all going to stay and mm-hmm. had to be okay with that. Um, mm. had to stop apologizing from stage that people had left the staff because we were going mm. in a different direction and just lean heavy on vision rather <laughs> than on memorializing the past. Um, <laughs> and one, one thing I learned from the place that I was at in Lexington, Kentucky, I got to watch mm-hmm. an incredible transition from the founding pastor that had been there 40 years to a, a brand new uh, leader in Mike Bro, uh, who had mm-hmm. just come out of Las Vegas back to Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And Mike did everything that you're not supposed to do when you come in and, and uh, take over. He changed <laughs> sure. everything in a week. Um, right. Different bands, different style, cl- uh, covered the stained glass windows. You know, mm-hmm. the, it, was, it was remarkable. But the church grew by 2,000 people in a week. Um, <laughs> he was in a really difficult elders meeting where people were very upset with him and he brought it all back to people's amazing grace story. How'd you Mm. come to Christ? How'd you come to Christ? Mm. That's why we're doing what we're doing. And (laughs) I had to keep leaning back on 
this is the reason why we're doing what we're doing. Last thing I'll say about this yep. is I would just say to leaders, if you're going to follow a legend, which I do believe that I did, you got to be really certain that it is the call of God mm. because there were some dark nights of the soul where I thought, what have I done? Right. And it was only the knowledge that it was the call of God that was confirmed to me by multiple trusted advisors, leaders, friends, and certainly my wife. I knew I was the right guy at the right time at the right place. And that kept me going. Hmm. Would you say, you know, looking back at that phase, there was obviously the external pressure of other people with their expectations, their thoughts, their opinions. And then there's the internal, um, like your own mindset, your own, uh, you know, thinking, second guessing, all of that. Which of those represented a bigger challenge for you in that season? Or, or how did they, how did you kind of compare and contrast the pressure from, from those two kind of elements? Well, that's a great question. Um, I think, uh, you know, early on, it was the expectations of other people. Um, mm -hmm. I had people come up to me often and say, well, you're not near as good looking as Kyle, um, which I, I didn't see that on the job description. Yeah, that's not how do, you're not even sure. That. What do you say to that? Uh, <laughs> <No>. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, well, we're, we're targeting a different audience, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> Anyway, so I think I, I had to get over that quickly, but yeah, you're right. At the end of the day, it was a lot of the things in my own head because mm. I came from a, a very successful church out in Lexington. I followed an incredible leader in, in Mike Bro, And of course, you know, we all uh, follow the press clippings of other churches and we just assume we're supposed to be that. And when things don't take off that way, it's really difficult. I heard mm. um, on, on Carrie's podcast recently, um, his guest uh, said, as a leader, you're either in the game or you're in the gap. Mm. And he talked oh, about the, you know, that gap that is in our mind of, well, I'm not there yet and I'm not like them. If you stay in the gap, then you're out of the game. I had to get mm. back into the game and get really mm. clear about what are we trying to do? Are we mm. trying to just keep people? Are we trying right. to just make people happy that have you know, come over here from Shepherd? Or are we really trying to reach people in our community? Mm. And if we're trying to do that, then let's really double down on that. Love and that it. might change the way we do worship. It might change the way that I teach. It might change the programs we offer, the way that we deal with children's ministry and student ministry. And uh, we, it may change where we meet. I went out there right. thinking, we'll always be in movie theaters. I had followed you know, Mark <laughs> Batterson's success yes. and thought, wow, I think you know, the movie theater idea is so great. You know, real life church coming to a theater near you. We'll just never mm -hmm. own a building. I got out here and I realized there's a high Catholic population and mm. people have one of two backgrounds with spirituality. They either have none or they have Catholicism. And mm. so they expect you to have some type of a cathedral, some type of a, mm. uh, a place that's a, a physical building. And, and, right. and the movie theater wasn't going to cut it for long. So we decided we were going to build a building. And what <laughs> I kind of happened into there was the thing that we've all learned from all the leadership books, one clear unifying vision. Mm. Um, makes it all the other trappings go away. And so when I got to lean into that, I was back in the game. And mm. then suddenly our staff got on board, our church got on board. And by the time we moved in the building, it was pretty clear that we were a different church. Right. Interesting. Fascinating. So, so interesting. Now, when you think about the staff transition, say in those, you know, first few years, um, 
you know, there, there seemed to be the school of thought where it's like the new guy shows up and everybody hands in their resignation or right. it's like a bloodbath and maybe things don't go well. Or it's like, we just try to keep everybody talk us through. What did that look like? How, how did the, the kind of staff evolve uh, in the coming years? Yeah, I think that the difficult thing with church is that each of your staff members represent, you know, a, a constituency of people. And, you know, you really want the buy-in right away. So I think that one of the things that we did well was we, we did take our staff away. There was only like five of us at the time. Mm -hmm. And we, we went away to the beach and we, we, we rewrote our mission statement, our vision statement. Uh, It became kind of a joint effort. We we tried Mm -hmm. to have a lot of fun together Mm -hmm. um, and, and share a lot of wins. We would sit around a conference table on Monday morning and write notes to all the first time guests and all the prayer requests. Mm-hmm. And, you know, th- that became kind of a unifying thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that when things did get difficult, um, you know, we kind of had some relationships to lean on. Mm-hmm. I think that the difficulty was when we began to grow, we began to outgrow some people and ev- mm-hmm. every staff has this at each yeah. level. There are people that kind of cap out and you ha- either have to offer them a new place on the bus or they have to get off the bus. Mm-hmm. And that was tough. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was difficult for, you know, people that had been around a long time that said goodbye um, for people that had been in the church that felt like this was a family back mm-hmm. in the early days. Now we're losing a family member. How do you deal with that? So yeah. I, I think that there was some some tough going there. I remember soon after we moved in the building and we had we'd grown substantially, we had to add a lot of new staff and mm. there became this big divide between the people mm. that were before the building and the people that were after the building. Okay. And so we had to do a lot of talking about appreciating the past, but also accepting the new uh, and what's mm-hmm. coming. I wish mm-hmm. I could tell you that I, I had one great staff meeting and it fixed all those problems and we <laughs> all watch remember the Titans and we were fine, you know, but <laughs> yes, not so much. Um, yeah. A, a lot of that, you know, I, what's the book by uh, Henry Cloud, Necessary Endings. Mm. There's just some mm-hmm. you have to endure. And you have to be willing to kind of accept that and and move on and, you know, reward those people and, and thank them. But if you, you know, no one survives by living in the funeral, you know, mm, mm-hmm, <laughs> you got to kind of mm-hmm. move on. And so we did that. And uh, the quicker we moved on, the better. Right. Let's talk a little bit about that. You know, the this whole idea of both creating and then communicating a clear vision to people. That's such a critical piece of the puzzle. And, you know, you sit in an interesting spot because, you know, obviously Kyle is able to do that and, you know, cast a compelling vision. And then you came on and, hey, we kind of massaged it. And then it has continued to grow and flourish and and make all kinds of impact, which is, I think, a fascinating seat to look at this whole vision piece, particularly. When you think about how do we articulate um, and move people towards vision. Uh, what, where, your, where does your head automatically go? What, what do you, what have you learned on that front? Yeah, I think that I had come in having read all the books on vision and thought I need a 30 year plan, a 15, a 10, you know, mm-hmm. and I realized that communicating that from the stage, no one cares. Uh, mm. they, <laughs> they don't know sure. where they're going to be in 30 years. They're just sure. hoping they're still married and have their sanity. Right. Mm-hmm. So, they're thinking more about, you know, convenience, comfort, paying the bills, Monday morning, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we had to really bite size it down. And what really helped us was we were not in a building. So 
to, to come up with a, hey, we're going to buy land and build a building. That was the one unifying vision. Well, you do mm. that, then what do you do? And I think the mm. statistics are high <laughs> for lead guys yes. leaving after the building yeah, totally. project yeah. because there's no more dragon to slay. So we had to come up with what's that going to be? Um, and, and I think you can do that in some you know in micro elements where it's a, a, a small generosity campaign to fill backpacks, backpacks for kids going to school. Perhaps it's a, hey, we want to you know, invite so many people to Easter. Let's hit that mm-hmm. number. Uh, mm-hmm. Those kind of things are great unifying moments. Right now, I think a lot of churches are, how do we get people back in the building? Or how do we right. automate everybody's giving? Or uh, turn, you know, the kind of the ghosts back into returners. Yes. So I think having unifying specific uh, initiatives are, are really great. You know, when the uh, 40 Days of Purpose first came out, mm-hmm. goodness, I sound old now. Uh, when, <laughs> when that first came out, I mean, 40 days. Okay, I can do that. People would yes. get into small groups and do that. So right now we have a really specific vision of we mm-hmm. want to plant 30 churches or campuses by the year 2030 wow. in California. Mm-hmm. So that clear mission has unified our staff and a lot of our objectives and finances and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And our people start to get behind it as well. So that when we launch something new, they ask things like, how does this help us reach our 30 for 30 goal? Uh, mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you asked. So I can tell you. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love the idea of... Um, you know, there's the kind of short-term sprints that you've described a number of those things that are maybe, you know, 12 weeks or, you know, a few months long. Hey, here's kind of our focus in this season, something we want to be thinking about. But then having this, the 30 by 30 is is a compelling kind of big idea that's going to drive a whole bunch of behavior. I think that's a really practical way for us to be thinking about it. How are we are articulating that? I love that. Plus, I just love the vision of of getting to more campuses. I'm always, I'm always in favor of how do we do uh, more of that. Um, when you think about, uh, you know, as a, in, a, in our cultures, in our churches, there are so many things that we could uh, define as important. Uh, there's so many things that we could say, hey, this is like really critical to, to who we are. How do you surface those things? How do you surface the things that are the most important, kind of the hills that we're willing to die on, the things that we're willing to say, hey, um, you know, we want to, th- these, are, these are the most important things. How have you been able to, to, to do that in your church? You know, for us, it was not so much even about what we said it was going to be. It was what who people said we were. Um, mm. You know, what's the the new thing on marketing right now? It's not it's not you on social media saying who you are. It's who other people say you are. Yes. Yeah. So when we started the building project, you know, all the consultants come in and they say, "What do people say about this church?" And the overwhelming thing was they are true to their name, Real mm. Life Church. And that goes way back to the Kyle days of when they did a <laughs> survey in our community and they asked people, what kind of church would you attend? They all said, one that's real. So that's mm. where the name came from. So <laughs> it's funny because I was watching all that from Kentucky thinking, real life church as opposed to fake life church? That's just weird. Uh, you know? <laughs> I thought it was a silly name. And yeah. Kyle even teased me recently and said, I can't believe you didn't change the name. And I, at this point, I think that's the greatest thing we have. That mm. defined us from the very, <laughs> very beginning. And it keeps coming back to that. So one of our core values is to be real. And when people tell us, you guys are true to your name. Uh, I I love this place because it's authentic. It's real. That's the greatest compliment we can get. So Mm. for our staff to kind of mine that out of the new people that have come, what are they saying about us? Why are they here? I think it really clearly identifies, um, is is that who we want to be? You know, the, the 
Jeff Henderson thing of, you know, what do you want to be known for and what are you Mm -hmm. for? Mm -hmm. Um, I I think that is the clarifying call for a lot of our churches. I think that's, you know, for a lot of us as pastors, certainly those that plant churches, you wake up one day and you think, is this a church I even want to attend? (laughs) Sure. Because, and I knew that at times with our church, because what I got suckered into was making people happy, keeping people around. And we began to shift the mission towards that, which is Mm -hmm. some people said, we need more experiential worship. Some people said, we need deeper teaching, which I love Mm. that phrase. No one can define (laughs) what that means, but yeah, exactly. It's it's, it's whatever you're not basically. So it's this constant, you know, chasing after something, uh, the unknown target. And I did that for a long time and took us off mission. And when we got back on, it was about unchurched people being real, connecting them to Christ. Uh, and that became kind of the unifying thing for us. Cool. I want to pivot in a bit of a different direction uh, since I've got you here. I know you've got a book out there that I, I want to expose people to. I want them to uh, to hear more about it. For folks that are listening, you know, I don't often uh, have authors on, but I think this is a great resource that that church leaders should be should be learning about. So you wrote a book called After Amen. I think it came out last fall. Uh, what do you do when you're waiting on God? Tell us about this book. What led you to write it? What kind of got you to the place you're like, hmm, this is the this is what I'd like to spend some time, effort, and energy on, yeah. you know, pulling together for folks. Yeah, I think all pastors have that moment where they're standing in the lobby and somebody comes up to them asking them to pray for them. They got this issue coming up or a problem mm-hmm. they're dealing with. And you say, Okay, I'll pray, but have you been praying about it? Yeah, I have, but it didn't work. Mm. And if we're all honest, we've all had those yep. moments, even yep. as pastors, we prayed about this and it didn't work. So I started to ask the question, are we supposed to do something after we pray? I mean, mm. I, there's a lot of books out there about how to pray and, and what to do in preparation of prayer, but is there any next steps for us or are we just throw it on God and walk away? So I decided mm. to look at what Jesus did when people came to him and asked him for help, which was mm-hmm. their prayer. And it was really fascinating. He had a lot of things for them to do after they Ask for something. Go show yourself to the priest. Go wash in the pool. Uh, start filling up those jars and we'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, there was a lot of things that Jesus told people to do after you say amen that a lot of us forget about. And a lot of them can determine the answer that we get. So <laughs> I kind of boil all that down to seven things in this mm-hmm. uh, uh, book. And we did it as a, as a teaching series, which um, all my manuscripts are available to pastors. Just go to my website, pastorrustygeorge.com. And you can get books, and I've even recorded small group videos for you. It was really helpful for our church to recognize that it's really not just me praying and then crossing my fingers. There is something that I can do to own this. And a lot of my prayers are not based upon my passion or perfection. I mean, Jesus got to know, and we're not questioning his passion or perfection. (laughs) So what are we supposed to do? And how do we even make sense of this when we do get a no? Or is there anything we can do? That might make us get a yes. So that's where the book goes. Uh, it's been a mm-hmm. lot of fun to talk about it with various churches um, and to hear their stories from small groups as people began to re-engage with prayer, certainly mm-hmm. after a year of hearing no from God about COVID or an election or uh, racial tension. You just feel like, did I do something wrong? Am I not getting mm-hmm. through? Is the cell signal getting dropped? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of this can really be remedied in what we do after we say amen. And it gave me a lot of peace, and I'm finding that it's giving other people peace as well. The so yeah, when I when I you know read this book, saw this, uh, the thing that uh, drew me in was that's such a compelling idea. 
I don't know of anyone that's ever actually had a conversation, maybe I just am not in the right circles, about exactly this issue, which is, again, what do you do after amen? Where do we go um, You know, after we pray? I think this is a great, uh, a great resource. I love the idea of a series. Um, I think this is, could be a great compelling uh, opportunity for churches, even if they're looking for content for the fall or maybe you know next next winter or something like that. Can you tell us a little bit about that? As other churches have picked this up as a resource, how have they used that? How have they kind of you know used this as a tool in their church? What's that, what has that looked like? Yeah, thanks for asking that. I, I've seen this happen in many churches where they'll they'll do it in a four week series and then they'll sell the book and then people can continue on with the next three chapters if they want to, where they can kind of pick and choose the chapters they want to do from stage. I've seen small groups do this. Mm. Uh, like I said, there's video content out there where I basically lead your small group. And so you can do that in a group setting. I've seen a guy's group do this, a women's group do this. Um, students have, have gone through this. It's coming out on version soon. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different ways that you can kind of access this for your church and for your people. Um, I think, you know, at the time we're recording, it's summer. And so a lot of people are looking for stuff to do kind of as they're traveling about and uh, mm-hmm. It can be a resource for that. But also in the fall, we did this in the fall and it really catapulted us to a great Christmas as people began to re-engage with prayer and kind of get ready mm-hmm. for the new year. Love it. This is so good. Friends, I'd encourage you to uh, you know to pick up a copy. If people want to pick up a copy of the book, where do we want to send them? I'm assuming Amazon. Are there other places we want to send them for this? Yeah, you can go to Amazon if you'd like to pay more money. <clears throat> but <laughs> <That's> <laughs> if you want it cheaper, just go to pastorrustygeorge.com. Um, there's a, a link there that you can you know get it really easily and and find out more about the resources and all those kind of things. So great. As you look up over the horizon for real life, uh, you know, obviously it is like this regathering season. I think a lot of us are in this mode where we're thinking about the fall, thinking about mm, like there's a anticipate that hey, um, even though we've been you know open for a while in a lot of places in the country, it feels like mm, the fall will maybe be the first time that we'll get a, a kind of run at the world post COVID. Uh, where, where's your mind going? What's your, what are you thinking? Where's your head at? What, where do you think? What's kind of coming next for the church, you think? You know, I think for us right now as a church, we've set specific goals on not just endearing ourselves to the community, to use a, mm-hmm. uh, a Stanley term, but also re-endearing ourselves to our people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk a lot in terms of the one and the 99. You know, mm-hmm. who's your one? We're going after the one who's lost, the lost sheep. But I think Post-COVID, certainly for the next six months, we're really focused on re-endearing or re-engaging the 99 mm-hmm, who have just mm-hmm. kind of turned into ghosts. They, mm-hmm. I hear this all the time. You know, we've been open since March and people will, mm-hmm. I'll see people in the grocery store and they go, hey, when's church opening? Well, it's clear that you're not following yes. any of our communication. Yes. Yes. So they're just, they call your church their home. They're just not engaged. Yep. So re-engaging with them so that we can really catapult into the next year is kind of what we're mm-hmm. thinking. Yeah, I love that. I, even just last night, we had our uh, our small group together and there have been some people in our in our small group who are in that category who are just kind of on the fringe and are are drifting out and we're even just at a micro level trying to, hey, how do we redraw you in? Let's, let's get you plugged back in and, and um, you know, so that you know, they can continue to grow. That's, that's good. That's good. Anything else you'd like to share, Rusty, just as we come to the end? I really appreciate you being on the show today. Well, thanks. I, I would just say, you know, to, to all of your, your pastors and church leaders, uh, this is a noble challenge that you are going through. And mm-hmm. even though we're not all in the same boat, we're all been through the same storm and it has been difficult. 
but boy, do we need you more than ever. Thank you so much, Rusty. I appreciate you being here. Thanks for taking time to be with us. Rich, thank you. This has been a tremendous honor. I really appreciate what you do and for letting me be a part of it. Thanks so much, man. Have a good day. (laughs) Okay, buddy. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Unseminary Podcast. Drop by unseminary.com for more helpful resources for you and your team. There you will find articles, online courses, and so much more. Unseminary, stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Presented by CDF Capital. Visit them at cdf.capital forward slash unseminary.